The Lifestylist, episode 132, featuring Aubrey Marcus. I'm Luke Story, a former celebrity fashion stylist and founder of School of Style. For the past 20 years, I've been relentlessly dedicated to my deepest passion, designing the ultimate lifestyle based on the most powerful principles of health and spirituality. The Lifestylist Podcast is a show dedicated to sharing my discoveries and the experts behind them with you. All right, health fanatics, I got a new discovery for you. You guys know that I'm always searching for the latest and greatest when it comes to superfoods and supplements and herbs, right? Well, my latest discovery is not disappointing. It's called Athletic Greens, and you can go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Luke to check it out for yourself. So this is more than just another greens product. There's a lot of those on the market. Some of them are great. This is really a complete whole food supplement. It's got 75 ingredients in it. It's been developed over 10 years by doctors, nutritionists, naturopaths. One scoop is actually having like 11 supplements in one. So if you're someone that doesn't want to take a bunch of pills and things like that, you put a scoop of this in any smoothie, water, whatever. It's got a really great flavor. It's actually delicious. It sort of has this vanilla meets berry kind of flavor, but it's subtle enough that it easily mixes into just about any kind of smoothie or drink you're going to make. So it's super convenient, super potent. And what's rad for you is you get 20 free travel packs valued at 99 bucks with your first purchase. So here's where you go. Go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Luke. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash Luke to claim your special offer right now. Today's show is brought to you by Four Sigmatic. Now, you guys know I'm always talking about their medicinal mushroom elixirs because I take them all the time. I'm super addicted to them. But now they've got a couple other products that I'm really into. They've got a decaf coffee for when I don't feel like freaking out on caffeine. And then they have a regular coffee, but not just coffee. Both of them are infused with medicinal mushrooms. So it's a mushroom coffee. They're fantastic. They've also got some matcha drinks like the matcha with lion's mane. And the thing that's cool about the Four Sigmatic drinks is they're totally organic. They're super powerful herbs and superfoods and mushrooms, but they're really easy to use. That's the issue I've had, like trying to be healthy and making myself some cool drinks is that it's kind of a pain in the ass and I have to open up all these different containers and it's a big project. Their products come in these little packets. You just pop them open. They're very portable. I take them on the plane. I take them on trips. I keep them in my bag, in my car. I kind of have them all over the house and I can just use them whenever I want. So Four Sigmatic, one of my favorite companies. If you wanna check them out, I highly recommend that you do. To do that, you go to foursigmatic.com and like all of my sponsors, they offer a sweet discount to the listeners. If you use the code LUKESTORY, you will save 15% off your order, which is a pretty good deal. So go to foursigmatic.com, enter the code LUKESTORY and save 15%. Check it out. ¿Qué pasó, muchachos y muchachas? We're back in the saddle again with another episode of the Lifestylist Podcast. Before we dig in here, I want to invite you to join me next week for a double episode with Dr. Harry Adelson and Dr. Amy Killen, where you can follow my entire 
insane stem cell treatment journey out in Utah. It is madness. So make sure you subscribe to the show so that you don't miss those episodes or any others to follow. All right, I've got some great events coming up. Uh, Next up is April 6th through 8th, where I'll be the official podcaster of the Longevity Now Conference in Anaheim, California. It's right next to Disneyland. It's probably the most insane health conference you could ever imagine. Make sure that you follow me on Instagram and join my Facebook group to watch all the behind the scenes interviews and craziness over there. So my Instagram is at Luke Story. Don't forget the EY. And then I'd really like to invite you to join my new Facebook group. It's called The Lifestylist Podcast oddly enough. And if you just go to Facebook and search those three words, Lifestylist Podcast, the group will pop up, request to join. And unless you look like a terrorist or something, I'll let you in there and you can watch all the behind the scenes videos that I'll be posting, not only at the Longevity Now conference, but pretty much any events and interviews that I'll be doing in the coming months. So make sure to join me over there at Instagram and in the Facebook group. Then April 24th, I'll be at the Soho House, Little Beach House in Malibu, where I interview Eli Block about orgasmic meditation. After that, I'm speaking for the first time and my first trip to Austin, Texas, actually, at Paleo Effects, and that's April 27th through 29th. To get into all of those events or any events to follow, you can go to lukestory.com forward slash events and get all the info and tickets. Okay, now on with the show. I'm really excited about this one. Speaking of Austin, Texas, our guest is none other than Aubrey Marcus, who hails from that very land. Aubrey's the founder and CEO of On It, a lifestyle brand based on the holistic health philosophy of total human optimization. Since its founding, Onnit has become an Inc. 500 company and industry leader with over 250 products ranging from peak performance supplements to foods, fitness equipment, and apparel. It's madness over there. Those guys are kicking ass. Aubrey also currently hosts the Aubrey Marcus podcast, which shortly after the release of this, I will be a guest on. Now, he's got over 10 million downloads on iTunes. I got to catch up to his ass. I think I'm creeping up on two. But his show's not even been out as long, so he's doing something right over there. His podcast is awesome. Check it out. Earlier this year, he also led his first three-day seminar about relationships called Love, Practice Makes the Master in Austin. He's also the creator of a life coaching program called Go For Your Win. He was featured on the cover of Men's Health, and his book, Own the Day, Own Your Life, will soon be published by Harper Wave. A sought-after public speaker and multi-platform media expert, Aubrey regularly provides commentary to outlets like Entrepreneur, Forbes, Fusion, The Doctors, Dr. Oz, and The Joe Rogan Experience. So dude has a lot going on, man. He's a mover and a shaker, and this was a really fun and motivating and inspiring conversation for me. Aubrey came over to the house. We hung out for a couple hours. It was a good time, and you guys get to really be a fly on the wall and sit in on that conversation, so... You know how this goes. Sometimes when I interview someone, it's an interview. Sometimes it's two people shooting the shit. Well, this turns out to be one of the latter, and I think you'll really enjoy it. Uh, Aubrey's got a level of presence and stillness that I find very rare. So really grounded dude. He's really got his shit together, and I'm sure he would be you know, embarrassed if I said that because we all have the things that we're working on, of course, but I just really enjoyed the time with him. So what we talked about is as follows. What motivated him to take on the commitment of personal growth and development in the first place? How he funded his company on it and the broad philosophy behind it. Why creating a movement is more important than creating a business. We talk about his morning routine and how he generates the power to achieve greatness in life. 
Speaking of power, we talk about rebounding and why he's made that a part of his daily practice, why he recommends a high-fat, high-fiber, low-sugar diet, how fat is needed for proper hormone production, the top five foods to avoid, and how to find the hidden toxins in your diet, walking the fine line between keeping a clean diet and being a control freak, something I know a little bit about, how he creates a Zen productivity station in his office, and his surprising secret weapon, the importance of proper office posture, the secret to creating a healthy company culture at Onnit and how that supports their bottom line. Why he personally does the firing as CEO rather than outsourcing it. The importance of sex in creating a healthy lifestyle. The downside of pornography and the benefit of making your own. Yeah. Why he feels naps are crucial to our sleep schedule. The power of human connection and which one of those connections is most important. Then what he's learned from his 17, count them, 17 ayahuasca journeys and the risks and benefits involved in that practice. How to avoid fake jungle shaman. The story of the time he OD'd on cambo frog poison and what any boga trip feels like. So as you can see, we cover a wide variety of topics in this episode. It's one you want to hear till the end because Aubrey just has a really huge amount of knowledge and a lot to offer. And he's just a very cool guy. As I said, I just enjoyed this conversation. So when that happens, I get super excited about sharing them with you. So without further delay, without further ado, I now deliver unto you, Mr. Aubrey Marcus. Aubrey Marcus, what's up, dude? Luke, how's it going, man? Great, man. Good to meet you. Good to meet you, too. Yeah, I love being a podcaster and recording at home because I get to like have people come hang out with me. That's the best, and it's the best conversation you'll ever have with anybody because 100% of your focus is right on just getting to know each other and nothing else matters, no other distractions. It's a beautiful thing to be a podcaster. Speaking of distractions, yeah, as long as I keep all my ringers off, <laughs> I had an alarm set today to move my car, and I was like, I hope I turn that thing off, man. <laughs> So you seem like someone who's really committed to working on yourself based on reading your book, mm -hmm. which is fantastic. You have a lot in common with me that you're just someone who seems to be really going deep in all areas, the mental, physical, and spiritual. So how'd you get into the whole personal development in the first place? Was it a result of some cataclysmic negative event or trauma or something like that or were you just geared toward improving yourself? Yeah, I mean, I think I got into it like everyone does because you know, you're a little fucked up. And you're looking for the solutions and the ways and also that combination of trying to find the ways out of my own puzzles, my own labyrinths of my own mind that I've created in my own body. And then also, you know, a strong drive to bring whatever pearls of wisdom I can gather and share those. So that kind of combination of finding the ways to heal those elements of myself and then that also that strong impulse to share that and communicate that in my own unique way. It's just led me down this path i mean this is what i'm here to do you know so i really know that and so i can be grateful for all those challenges how old were you when you stopped monkeying around and got down to the business of really evolving i don't know maybe tomorrow <laughs> <laughs> no i don't know man it's a constant journey i mean when i was younger it was all about athletics right i mean that was the goal the goal was make the high school varsity basketball team and then once i'd made that then it was like all right get you know all state honors and you know move all there but it wasn't until a vision quest after high school that it really opened up kind of the spiritual component and i really started to understand you know kind of that mindset philosophy combining spirituality with you know mental health emotional health and physical health and started to piece that together of course you know bigger events happening later probably i talk about some of them in my book but bigger events happening later but it started 
you know, after high school where I had that first vision quest. Interesting. I'm going to get into that vision quest stuff yeah, why in a not? little bit. So you're founder and CEO of Onnit. For those of our listeners, which would be not many of them, but for those that are unfamiliar with Onnit, tell us about the company and how it started. Well, what I realized is you can't focus on just one thing and really get the kind of cumulative gains that you're looking for. You can focus entirely on the body, but that might help the mind a little bit, but it's going to slow down when your mental practices haven't caught up to your physical practices. You'll be over-reliant on those physical things. And if you haven't been working on the mindset, that won't give you the kind of gains that you're looking for. So really everything has to work in conjunction. So with Onnit, we wanted to make a company that didn't focus narrowly, but covered that broad umbrella we called total human optimization. So tackling everything at once. That's why we sell kettlebells and functional foods and supplements and personal care and put out a ton of content on mindset and motivation because it all really works together. I was looking at your site last night and I got to say too, just to give you props, since you guys started, I think I've probably found your site pretty soon after you guys launched uh, years ago. And it's always been one of the best branded companies and also just always has had a beautiful and fully functional site. Like you guys had a legit kind of health-based site that looked really cool and functioned properly way before anyone. So props on that. Cause when I first, I just, I'm a visual guy, as you can see, look at my place. I've worked in fashion. Like I really pay attention to the way things look and I'll literally like buy one supplement just because it looks cooler (laughs) than I will the other one. So in the beginning I was like, Oh, these guys are onto something. They're (laughs) they're paying attention to the aesthetics and the whole thing. And then I went on your site. uh, I hadn't been on there in a while. And I went on last night in preparation for the interview. And I was like, damn dude, you guys have grown so much. I mean, Mm -hmm. all the athletic stuff, all the equipment, there's apparel. It's like, turned into quite a thing yeah it's dope it's really built around a movement and the movement has a lot of different avenues and ways it can go but it's about a feeling and that feeling is i can be a little bit better today than i was yesterday right and i can be a little better tomorrow than i was today and what are the ways that i can do that and on it you know is going to have things that speak to some people more than others and that's by design you know we're putting out the gamut and allowing people to choose which tools they want to add to their own toolbox and sometimes it's just going to be information and sometimes it might be something tangible like an alpha brain or a kettlebell or a steel mace or something like that so how did you learn about starting and running a business did you go to business school i mean you're playing football yeah. in, in high school <laughs> basketball I mean, yeah or basketball where did you get the um well i started a market, entrepreneur thing i started a marketing company outside of college i didn't know what the fuck i was doing but i figured it out because i just threw myself in the deep end and worked with a ton of different clients and had some successes had a lot of failures mostly failures but you start to understand the nature of online business and business in general And um, also just a fundamental understanding of reciprocity. Like, how do you provide something that's valuable? And that's really what entrepreneurship is. It's, that's probably the thing that Onnit has done best. You know, we don't have all the tricks and tactics and we're still not good at building funnels and, you know, doing all the like <laughs> the, is, the, deta- the detailed oh parts God. of that, you know, but yeah. what we are good at is providing valuable shit. And, um, you know, that's been the, uh, the core of our business. So we've really kind of simplified the model a little bit. It's not like, you know, we have this particular set of skills and we can apply it to anything. We just had the ability to create cool stuff that could really benefit people. And uh, we just did our best to get out of the way of that. So you've kind of learned as you went along, it sounds like. Yep. Yeah. I often quote this thing that I can't, I still can't find. It was somewhere in the intra web uh, depths, but 
it was talking about entrepreneurship and how it relates to IQs. Mm -hmm. And it was this study that was done on the 10 highest IQs in the world. You'd say, in one respect, the smartest people in the world, right? And all of the top IQs all work for someone else. None of them are entrepreneurs. And so they came up with this idea that entrepreneurs are smart enough to have a vision and an idea, but maybe not quite intellectually advanced enough to calculate the risks. Whereas the super, super high IQ people will have an idea, but they're like, oh no, you know, I can do the math on this and it'll never work. Right. You know what I mean? Right. And entrepreneurs are sort of like, oh, I got an idea and they, they have the balls to just fire, you know? And I think that's yeah. why I really relate to people that are entrepreneurs that didn't necessarily go to business school. They just kind of had an idea. They had passion and started to build, you know, a tribe around that content and then come up with whatever it is that you're going to market. Yeah. I mean, I never really thought about that. It's interesting I mean, did, though, did, but for me, I started this fashion school, which is now nine years old. And when yeah. I started, I didn't even think about whether or not it would fail or how much time and money I was going to put in. I was just like, I'm doing this. Yeah. And once I made a decision to do it, it's that, almost not a choice. That, yeah. It's almost then, just, this is the, this then is the, I learned. Yeah. This is the actualization of what you're here to do. Yeah. And it's just not really a calculated choice. It's, the more I get experience, the more I just try to get out of the way of what wants to be rather than trying to force it. And I think that's uh, maybe something when your brain's a little too big in proportion to the rest of your understanding, you know, you maybe try to do too much. You maybe think that you need to calculate everything you need to do it. And really, I just try to put out that message and allow it to find its water level, you know, and get out of the way as much as I can. And that's really been helpful. What astrological sign are you? I'm a Pisces, oh, but I'm okay. not big into astrology. So yeah. I'm I'm not either. But, <laughs> but I always because a lot of people that I interview are entrepreneurs just by default. I think because I just gravitate toward that type of person. I'm always curious if there's you know a common thread. Like I'm a Scorpio, and there's been more Scorpio U.S. presidents by far than any other sign. Huh. Which I, th you know, my ego really likes that. Like, <laughs> yeah, I'm very presidential. <laughs> but I'm always curious if there's a correlation. I don't know that much about it, but sometimes it just comes to me. I wonder what sign that person is. So in your book, you talk about your morning routine. And as I was explaining before we recorded, I'm like, God, this guy has so many things in common with me. And the first thing that I found was the glass of spring water with some sea salt. Mm -hmm. And then the importance of getting sunshine on your body. And then you talk about jumping on a rebounder as we see sitting in front of us. So why are these practices important? Yeah, I think we got to understand what this body is, like what the operating system is. Like we don't get a proper manual. We get a bunch of conflicting information. We get a bunch of ideas and things that somebody told us, but... I think a fundamental basic understanding of like what is the owner's manual for the human body and that's really what i wanted to tackle in this book is to really help people understand like and get a proper user's manual for this thing that we're navigating life through and one of those overarching themes is circadian rhythm you know it's our connection with the light cycle it's our connection with the wake sleep cycle and i don't think we pay that much attention to it so a lot of it you know, coming out from sleep, you're going to be dehydrated. You lose over a pound of water overnight just from the water vapors coming out of your body. 
you know, you're breathing in air at a certain humidity and you're breathing out that moist air that comes from your lungs, comes from this water vehicle that we really are. So you got to get rehydrated, not just with water, but with the electrolytes, the minerals that you'll lose. And then from there, it's about circadian rhythm. It's about exposing yourself to light, which is going to set and kind of wake up through those photoreceptors, wake up that circadian rhythm and tell the body like, oh, I'm awake now. I'm out of the cave. It's time for me to be functioning. So getting some light and then getting some basic movement, you know, which is just moving around, getting the body flowing. And that'll really help you wake up without having to go immediately reach for that coffee and then jack your adrenals to get out of bed, actually kind of going with the flow of what the body wants to do. (laughs) Dude, that was funny reading that part in your book where you're like, hey, when you wake up, reader, you should like grab some good spring water with some (laughs) sea salt instead of like pounding a coffee right away. And I was like, dude, people get out of bed and like literally pound a coffee right away that never even... (laughs) I was like, that's crazy. Who would do that? I would be so psycho, man. I have like an hour and a half meditation, this whole (laughs) thing. Then I'll have like a fatty coffee. Right. You know, like, which, and I I like that you talked about how the, when you mix, you know, the classic bulletproof sort of uh, model, when you mix fat and caffeine and kind of emulsify it, you slow down the assimilation of that coffee. Because I see people do it at Starbucks, like grabbing these huge black iced coffees and just chugging those. <laughs> That's like meth. That's yeah. so it's, hardcore. It's, <laughs> the best way I heard coffee described, it's somewhere between a warm hug and a hard drug. <laughs> right. You know, it's like... <laughs> That's yeah, good. And that big, tall iced coffee just black is just straight up hard drug. Dude. <laughs> You've taken the warm hug out of it and you're just going straight for the I juice. Couldn't, I couldn't do that. Yeah. And, and the other thing that I thought was interesting is that you give a shout out to the rebounder and I'm like a rebounder from way back. In fact, I've had that one there, the Bellicon, which is the best one I've been able to find for, God, I want to say like 10 years mm-hmm. to the point I actually wore out all of the bungees on it and just had to order all new ones because I started, I, they started like flying off in mid bounce. Yeah. But other than Tony Robbins, you're the first guy I've heard to talk about them in a while. What's the deal with the rebounder? Why might someone want to check that out? I've always loved trampolines. And I think at a certain point, you just stop jumping on trampolines because you're an adult now. And, right. <laughs> you know, and I think you know, there's some people who talk a lot about lymph movement. When you actually dig into the PubMed and look at the research, it's really just lower leg exercise that's causing the lymph system to actually move. That's hilarious. You know, they talk about the gravitational unloading, but it's just a great way to just do something where you know you're going to get the whole body kind of woken up and get that regular low leg exercise, and it's fun. You know, a lot of this book is about just having fun, and that's a great way to do it. Yeah, all right, you could do air squats, but what's more fun, air squats or jumping on your rebounder? Rebounder, a thousand percent. And because it's more fun, you might actually fucking do it. Right. You know what I mean? Right, exactly. Yeah, because I'm not the guy who's going to get up and like, you know, wake up and do 50 burpees. Like, yeah. that's not going to happen. And I happen. give that option. <laughs> yeah, but I that know, option's like 10% of people, <laughs> yeah. maybe. Yeah. You know, but maybe 40% of people, if they had that rebounder, would be like, ah, fuck it, I'll bounce on that. Because yeah. you'll get used to feeling like, oh, wow, I feel more awake after doing this. I yeah. feel more alert. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah, one thing that I like to do on it too is sort of, and this is just, again, another thing, there's definitely no science on that I'm aware of, but. I like to kind of do the hemispheric synchronization stuff where I, I kind of do jumping jacks and alternate left foot, right foot, and do some crazy like brain tricks to kind of like wake up my brain. Sure. So there's actually a lot of fun stuff you can do on those. Yeah. Things. Take a tennis ball, throw it on the wall, catch it with your hand as you're oh, jumping. Oh, dude, that's a good that's idea. That's cool. Yeah. A that's lot of the MMA fighters will do stuff like that. Really? Yeah. For turn on the brain and get like the hand-eye yeah. coordination going? Mm-hmm. Wow, that's dope. 
hmm, now I'm like, where do I have a wall in here that I would work on? <laughs> I see photos on the wall where I'm going to be yeah. making a lot of uh, broken glass. So in terms of lifestyle stuff, I wanted to cover just a couple things. You recommend just generally a high-fat, low-sugar diet. Mm-hmm. What's your eating program look like that you'd recommend for people? Throughout this book, you know, really talking about eating for the function that you really want. And, you know, we need way less fucking sugar and carbohydrates than we've been taught and that we think we need. The food pyramid? Yeah, it's so (laughs) crazy. You know, and really for that kind of mental clarity and to prevent those kind of wild blood sugar swings where you're jacking your blood sugar up, it might feel decent on the way up, but then as the insulin comes in to scuttle all that blood sugar out and back into your liver and back into your muscles, you get that hypoglycemic blood sugar drop and then you're tired, irritable, and then you're going to reach for more. And so you're ping-ponging yourself metabolically up and down all day. And it's not an effective, efficient way to fuel yourself for whatever the fuck you want to do. You know, So really talking about keeping it higher fat, higher fiber, higher protein throughout the day where you're having your most productive parts of the day. Then at dinner, you know, which is going to be after your workout, when you're, you've burned off a lot of that sugar, when you're, you know, lower in your blood sugar levels and your glycogen levels are depleted, then add in that lump of sourdough bread or add in that sweet potato or mashed potatoes or whatever you want. And that'll kind of help replenish that glycogen system and then help you ease into bed. But that's kind of the arc of the day. And I think, you know, Tim Ferriss talked about that a lot, carb speed and carb timing. It's not like a war on carbs. It's just saying you're going to be, you're going to feel better if you keep it high fat, high protein, high fiber, high micro and macronutrient balance, and then moving toward the end of the day, adding in some carbs. Dude, I experienced the emotional roller coaster, and I didn't know this was happening, but I got sober almost 21 years ago. I should be 21 on uh, Thursday. Cool. In a couple of days. Yeah. And it's amazing. But one thing that I did when I got sober, it was like, all right, I need to go vegetarian. I'm going to do yoga and mm-hmm. all this stuff. And I was an emotional basket case. I was 26 years old. And so I went vegetarian and basically stopped eating fat and stopped eating really any protein. So I was eating corn, soy, and wheat, and and like cheese were like my primary food group. But I was an emotional wreck for literally like years. And it was because of that glucose thing, the blood sugar Mm -hmm. roller coaster. And I had no idea. And then I finally, that stopped working. And then I went pretty high fat just from, I think I just started drinking bulletproof coffee and just kind of became ketogenic by accident. And it's amazing. You're right. What it does for your mood, just to get those fats and be supplied with energy from that rather than carbs and sugar yeah mood energy focus pretty much everything you want comes from just tweaking the ratio of your foods and also hormone production i mean one of the reasons why your emotional state might have been an upheaval is you rob yourself of the substrate of a lot of these hormones which is fat and healthy cholesterol and then you don't produce the adequate hormones. So your estrogen, probably especially from the soy, all the phytoestrogens right. there. Your I was a soy are, boy. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're, you're in constant male PMS. You're totally, all, you know, like, dude, totally. Where the estrogen and progestin and all these other things are spiking and your testosterone is low. So, you know, you got to be mindful of that. Yeah. One last thing on food. What are the top five foods or additives that you'd recommend avoiding? If anybody's trying to color food to get you to eat it, Like, why? What are they doing? What are they hiding? Like, what tricks are they pulling? So don't be a sucker for food that's colored. Like, there's no, if they're of the mindset where they need to color their food, like that yellow ass weird cheese and 
whatever else they're putting in it is not going to be right either. So stay away from colored foods. Watch out for some of those preservatives. Obviously, if you're going with artificial sweeteners, you know, the sucraloses and all of those blue packets, pink packets, yellow packets of all the, you know, artificial sweeteners, which boggles my mind that they're still on every cafe table that you see, even in healthy places. I mean, all that's poison. Some of the preservatives are poison and definitely the food colorings are not good for you. A huge link to hyperactivity in children when you look at the studies and the ingestion of these like yellow number six and some of these sodium benzoate, some of these preservatives and some of these food colorings, you know, and that's in everything that we serve to our kids. I mean, one Kraft mac and cheese will have both of those things in a lot of cases. And we wonder why our kids are so hyperactive. You know, I mean, that's a major contributing factor. Of course, there's obviously cultural and other issues, emotional issues. But from a nutritional standpoint, you got to steer clear of that shit. Good advice. That's funny. It's one thing I think about that makes me nervous about having kids is because I'm like, I'm going to be the worst controlling like dad ever, yeah. you know, like diving at them. No, <laughs> artificial colors. It's like, man, it's difficult to be a parent and really be health minded because you don't want to be. Well, the problem is the friends. Cause right, because like, they're going to go over to their little friend's yeah. house. And that's what I did when I was a kid because my mom only fed me freaking granola and bananas <laughs> and shit. She was a total health nut, my dad too. And I'd go over to my homies, um, Joey and Tony Conti, and we used to make these things I later termed white trash donuts. We'd take like Wonder Bread and roll up white sugar in the middle, like into a ball, and then we'd put it in the microwave <laughs> and make like these like just syrup balls. Mm. But I, my mom didn't know I was doing yeah, that. Yeah, yeah. And Captain Crunch and just all that. So The beautiful thing is we're in a world now where you can get every type of junk food you want, but do it in a healthy way. Like a Zevia cream soda, if you like sodas and your kids like sodas, like a Zevia cream soda tastes as good as any of that corn syrup bullshit that you're going to find in a regular soda. But it's not going to have any of the blood sugar issues. It's not going to have any of the health issues. It's going to be natural flavoring, citric acid, stevia, which has virtually no effect on the body, and you know carbonated water. And you're going to be able to satisfy that same urge, but without all the shit. And the same with chocolates and cookies. And, you know, we're in a world now where there's substitutes where you can get the stuff. You just have to pay attention. Yeah, that's true. I know it's cool. I saw your Erewhon juice. Um, yeah. I talk about the place all the time because it's like Mecca in Hollywood. Well, now in Venice too. But I mean, you can go in there and literally like get really healthy superfood versions of almost every kind of junk comfort food yeah. that you'd want. It's yeah. pretty incredible. We're, to, we're in a lucky time right now. I know. We have like all the challenges, but all the best solutions. It's a cool time to be in. It is. In terms of workspace, you're a working guy, CEO, crushing it, super busy. Another thing you talk about that I really like is you know, for those of us that are so situated to be able to do so, obviously, if you have a corporate job and you're in a cubicle, you can't do all that much. But you talk about just the ergonomics, the lighting, the smells. How do you create a Zen productivity man cave at work? Well, I think you have to control what's controllable. You know, so I talk about a couple different things. Usually, you know, people underestimate the power of scent. It's almost like the most underrated of our five senses. And I talk about it, how important it is in attraction when you're finding a mate and finding compatibility. You're actually smelling the other person's genetics with histocompatibility and these things called pheromones. And I'm sure you've probably mentioned that as well. But you're actually determining whether you're attracted to a mate or not, largely by your smell, as well as, of course, your eyes and other social cues. And then as far as, you know, your workplace, there's good studies showing that if you have like a lemon scent, you're going to have make less errors typing on a computer. If you have other different scents, it's just going to help 
encourage you to be in that kind of productive state. So controlling your environment with that. But the most important thing is probably energetic hygiene. It's just who are you around and who are you interacting with? What are you engaging? Are you engaging in all of the office drama and politics? Are you fueling that side of things? Are you kind of keeping an energetic bubble, holding your own space to accomplish what you want to accomplish? And that's probably the most important thing, you know, is just creating that energetic space where you can really flourish. And then the rest of the stuff, yeah, I mean, go for it. You know, play with essential oils. You know, if you have the opportunity to burn something that I smelled the smell of copal coming in, and that's beautiful because that to me sets a mood and sets a vibe from the moment I step foot in your house. It's like, ah, I can relax in this place. It's clean in that kind of energetic way. Yeah. Because that's a cue that I've learned from my own experiences, my own journeys, you know, when they wash me in Copal before I go inside a Tamaskal sweat lodge, you know, <laughs> it'll trigger that. And I'm like, right. oh, here I am. Right. You know, here I am home again. They say that the olfactory uh, memory is the strongest memory yeah. too. You know, yeah. you have that thing where you give a woman a hug and she has that perfume that like your high school girlfriend wore or totally. something, you know, isn't that weird? Yeah, you're sunk at that point. Yeah, yeah. You have no chance. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. Out in Austin where you live, is your office that you grind in in your home or is it like at the on at no, HQ? No, we have a big HQ, yeah. So you have a real office over there. Uh-huh. And what do you do for ergonomics and, you know, the standing desk versus sitting and how do you keep yourself moving when you're doing computer work and stuff? I have a rebounder there at the office. So I try to bounce, you know, in between meetings whenever I have a few minutes. If I'm talking with my assistant, I'll be jumping up and down. I have a standing desk and a sitting position. Uh, it's a little bit weird to take meetings standing. So, you know, I just try to, even if you're sitting, just how you sit, you know, determines if you're slumped and hunched over or if you kind of sit with proper posture, draw your shoulders down about, yeah, we're both doing it, draw your head back. It's not something that I'm particularly good at, but it's something that as I look to try and get my body in alignment with the other kind of emotional and spiritual work that I've been doing, like I want to get my body to reflect the type of being that I'm becoming. And I think that's a really key state because if you're bound up and constricted, it's going to have those effects on every other aspect. So really trying to get yourself in a position where you can move and be sustainable and not wear out. It's pretty key. It's hard, but it's key. Have you noticed with your posture and body language how that affects the response that you get from other people? You ever play around with that? Like in a meeting, you know, being really open and receptive with your physicality and breath and see how that actually can kind of change an interaction? You know, I don't do it consciously, but I've had some people who have some more understanding of that who will comment on like, oh, do you know you're doing that? And um, like for one thing, if, if someone's a bit shorter than me, you know, I'll tend to have a little bit wider stance. So I'm more kind of on there on their visual level and they'll be like, Did you notice you were doing that? I was like, no, I didn't. It just felt right. That's interesting. You know, so I think instinctively I'm lucky in that I'm just a good communicator and I think body, yeah. it's not something I pay attention to, but it's something that comes pretty naturally to me. I think. Yeah. I asked because it's something that uh, I became aware of a while ago and I really, I very consciously do that mm -hmm. because I'll find myself sitting in a meeting with my arms crossed and my legs crossed and kind of, you know, in an inadvertent defensive position yeah. rather than being really open and receptive. Sure. And, and I've noticed that when I'm conscious of that, it's got an effect on the other people that I'm with. Undoubtedly. It's cool. It's fun to play with. Even yeah. just how you shake someone's hand and there's all sorts of stuff. I'm fascinated by the way bodies send messages to other people. Mm -hmm. It's cool shit. Yep. So what's the environment like in terms of, you know, you have a company you've got on it, you guys have your headquarters in Austin. 
what's the company culture like and how does you know the mindset and all of that affect the bottom line like what have you guys done in terms of you know giving people breaks or making them work out in the middle of the day or you know what's it like to work at on it which seems to be a pretty progressive company yeah we want to give everybody their opportunity to be on it like it has to be through to the bone like it can't be we're putting out this message but there's a toxic work environment and everybody's just grinding and it's super unhealthy like we want to give the people who are pushing the you know the kind of the heart of this idea every opportunity to live that idea as well so the gym is right next to hq which is awesome free memberships for all the employees and incredible training and personal training we have a cafe with keto smoothies and everything we have massage therapists like five different ones that can come through and anybody can book any of that at any time they're responsible for producing their work and you know generally you got to be there roughly around the same time because of meetings and things like that and pay attention but I'm not a micromanager and none of my managers are micromanagers. We really want to have people inspired to contribute and feel what we're trying to promote because if they feel it, they're going to want to be a bigger part of it. It's all about that kind of reciprocity model. We want our customers to receive more than they gave us and we want our employees to receive more from on it than they contribute to us as well. And that just creates this virtual cycle where everybody's always willing to help and always willing to do more. How do you deal with it when you have to can someone who's not falling in line performance or company culture wise? I always do it myself, if at all possible. That's respectable. And I, yeah, that's, that's that kind of Ned Stark. <laughs> that send, send in your assistant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> I've been, I've been, I've had to fire people on behalf of other people and it sucks. You know, because just watching how angry they get, like, he couldn't even come talk to me. You know, right. I was like, yeah, I'm sorry. You know, I'm the guy who's here to do this. I think the key is just, uh, you know, truth is love and love is truth. Anytime you're shading something and playing an angle, it's really kind of black magic, you know. And so, and while in business, you know, there's a temptation to do that in a lot of different ways. Generally, if you just explain the truth and come from that position, it tends to go really well. I don't block myself off from emotionally, so it's hard for me. Because if someone's feeling emotional, I mean, the most a lot of the terminations I do, I'll get emotional. Largely because I'm appreciative of what they did contribute, you know. And so it's a it's an emotion of gratitude. Like, thank you so much for what you contributed. Your skills are no longer part of what we're building, but I really appreciate you. And it tends to go really well when you're able to do that. It takes a little bit of a cost because you're opening yourself up. You know, we have... I've been in a lot of HR situations where it's very clinical and people kind of shut themselves off to the emotions of what's happening. But I just try to get on the level and be as honest as I can. And, you know, I trust the justification of why I'm doing it. And I think it's always better when you can express the justification of that to the person who's, who's there. I mean, that's what they deserve. They deserve to know the real shit. You know, I mean, that's the least that I could give them. Yeah, I like that truth is love, love is truth, because it's like even in a situation in which the truth might sting a little bit right in that moment, ultimately, it is the best solvent. Yeah. You know what I mean? That person might be six months down the road, six years down the road and go, ah, okay, I see why I'm not working it on it anymore because I was supposed to be doing this other thing. Mm -hmm. You know, it's oftentimes it's hard to see that in the moment. In terms of hiring, do you guys have an interesting or unique process by which to hire people and make sure they're the right people on the right bus and the right seat how scrutinizing are you in that process to make sure you have to fire less people we could be better you know i think really i just try to make sure that they have the capability to be part of what the heart of this thing is and then obviously the skills 
you know, need to be up to par as well. So we try to get kind of a round table where everybody gets to pitch in and kind of test and see if the skills are there. But first for me is just, is the heart right? Like, are they the type of person that can really be on it? And if they can be on it in whatever way, it doesn't mean they have to go to the gym, you know, just in whatever way that is, are they a part of this? And if they are, and then if the skills match, we'll give it a go. Sometimes we'll do, you know, trial contracts like trial employments and say, hey, look, we don't know about your skills. We think you're the right person, or we don't know if you're the right person, but we really like your skills. And then we'll try them for six months and just try and keep as honest an approach as possible. Certainly there's been times where I've wish I would have transitioned people sooner and people who I wish I wouldn't have hired and people who I've generally not people who I've let go, who I've, you know, regretted letting go. But, you know, certainly it's a tricky part because part of you wants to be like, all right, this is our tribe. We're in it together. But the good of the organism has to come before the good of the individual. It's just like the body. When the body's cold, it moves the blood from the extremities to the core. And it's willing to sacrifice fingers and sacrifice toes to keep you alive. And that's a crazy thing. But the body does that, right? To keep the core temperature warm enough, that's why you get frostbite. It'll recall the blood oh, from your extremities and you'll, you'll lose some digits, but you'll live. Right. You know, right. And, that's, and that's what the body does. And that's what a company has to do too. That's what the organism has to do. That's a cool way to look at it. Yeah, it's like what serves the greater good. Because ultimately, what serves the greater good for the company itself is what serves the customers down the road, too. 100%. You know, that's cool. A guy being in your position, I mean, as I said, I've watched the company just explode over the past few years. How do you deal with your workflow and not getting caught in overwhelm? Like, how do you deal with productivity, filing things, the number of emails and text, and just as you get more known both as a podcaster now author ceo of this company how do you how do you manage your time it's hard that's hard i mean especially this you add something like this book to the company like i'm already busy i got a podcast i got a company that i'm running i got lots of different things going on and then you add the writing and the you know all of the things involved with the preparation for the launch and everything that goes involved with the book and then it's just layering a whole other full-time job i mean there's some authors who just write books and go out and tell people about them and that's their job so you add something like that and then everything you have to squeeze everything just a little bit from your personal life your social life one of the first things to go is any practices that are going to borrow from tomorrow to pay for today so drinking partying you know, like I used to blow it out more often on the weekends and be dancing on tables and really, you know, drinking <laughs> Don Julio 1942 and having a blast. That's got to go. I can maybe afford it that night, but I can't afford the lack of productivity that next day. I can't give up my tomorrow to have a little bit more fun today. And um, generally, if you keep making those choices, you'll expand the amount of time that you have available. There's interesting things in your book too. Uh, it's funny, I've never I've never like referenced someone's book as much, I think, in 120 something episodes, but I literally just like sped Reddit speed, sped speed, speed Reddit yesterday. <laughs> so I keep reflecting back to some of the things that were in it because it's so fresh. Oftentimes there's a while that goes by between a guest book mm -hmm. or like looking at their content. It's so fresh, but something that I thought was funny slash cool is in regard to partying. You know, for a book that's about like optimizing yourself and health and, you know, spiritual well-being, mental performance, all that kind of stuff is that you recommend like cutting loose, smoking some weed, <laughs> having a few glasses of wine here and there. And then also the importance of sex, mm -hmm. of having good sex, which is it's so funny. I was like, oh, yeah, that's <laughs> actually really true. 
what's your perspective on that? That's living, man. It's yeah. like, what are we, what the fuck are we here for? Are we here to be just productivity machines and just count the numbers in our bank account at the end of the day and count our accomplishments and fucking pat ourselves on the back? Are we here to fuck literally like have intercourse with not just other people, but with the world, with the food, with the drinks, with the mind altering substances with, of course, with the people, with the friends that we have with everybody, like have that genuine intercourse and discourse like that's life so any book that's you know just focusing and wants to talk about a really optimized day like this should be a day you can repeat and it's not about just crushing it in one aspect it's about crushing it in life it's about being that guy at the end and i talk about deathbed regrets it's about being that guy or that girl at the end of your life and being like fuck i lived I really lived. I did the things. I smelled the smells. I ate the things. <laughs> I did the things. You yeah. know, I did the things. Like I yeah. did this life thing, you know, and now I'm ready to let it go. You don't want to be the person like, well, I did the work thing, but man, I wish I would have traveled and man, I wish I would have met more people and I wish I would have done this. No, don't be that person. You know, be the well-rounded person. It's just going to serve you a lot better. If you've been listening to the show for a while, you've probably figured out that I'm a pretty hardcore researcher when it comes to finding healthy products, right? Well, one of the things I've been searching for for a while is the number one best organic bedding that you can find. There's a lot of cheap, crappy stuff out there. And so I was really excited when I found this company, Altera Pure, and I got them on the phone when I thought about running their ads. And I do this with everyone, by the way, that I run ads for. I got them on the phone and I really grilled them about their whole process the company philosophy, where the cotton comes from, where it's made, how it's made, who's making it, the freaking water that goes in the soil. You guys know I'm hardcore. And Altera Pure passed my test, my scrutinizing test with flying colors. These guys make not only really well-made and safe bedding, but it is actually really soft and comfortable. I don't know, they cracked the code on making soft organic sheets, which are actually quite rare. A lot of the organic stuff is like freaking sandpaper. So these are just beautifully constructed sheets that are really good for you. They're organic, no pesticides, they're non-GMO, they're very environmentally and socially sustainable. And they also are just um, very transparent. You can find out anything you want to know. You can call them. I don't know if you'll talk to the CEO, but you'll talk to someone. They'll answer any question you have, and they will prove to you beyond the shadow of a doubt that they are, in fact, making the healthiest bedding in the world. So if you want to check it out, go over to alterapure.com. That's alterapure.com. Enter the code LIFESTYLIST at checkout and save 15%. Pretty cool, right? I always try to get you guys a discount. It works out well for everyone. I win, the company wins, and you win. So go to, once again, alterapure.com. Enter the code LIFESTYLIST, and you will save yourself 15% off your order. Another thing that you talk about when you're talking about sex, and uh, I think good, healthy sex is really good, but there's one thing you talk about, and that is I think you went easy on the reader, and you said this would obviously be speaking mostly to guys, but that you want to minimize the exposure to pornography. Mm -hmm. And that's something in my life over the past 21 years, I've been like weaning myself. I mean, it's literally taken 20 years <laughs> to wean myself off to the point now where I just literally don't do it. Is there it. a pun in there? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Wean myself off the teeth of porn. <laughs> but now I, I'm, totally porn free 100 i don't nice. i don't you know it's not by virtue but just necessity because right. i found as i started to progress spiritually over these years i mean i meditate twice a day i go to india i mean i'm in i'm fully in to my spiritual self which is i think kind of who you really are 
and there started to be this mismatch of like because yeah. i'm not it's not a moral thing like dude i've had a crazy life <laughs> sexually right, you know? right. so it's not like it's like it's not a moral thing like oh that's bad or dark or the devil or something i'm not religious it has nothing to do with that it's just it's not an energetic match to the rest of the things yeah. that i do i listen to mantra i burn incense i meditate i have very loving kind people in my life like i don't know every once in a while I'll put on metallica or something but I mostly listen to classical music and mantras sure. and you know, I'm just, I'm on a different vibration because I'm not trying to be holy. It just makes me feel good. And what I started to find over the years is like any exposure to pornography would give me literally like a psychic hangover. Mm -hmm. The next day I'd just be like, can't look people in the eyes and have this sort of shamey. You must've gone down some dark rabbit holes. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> For sure. <laughs> but everybody does. That's well, the well, thing. Here, here's the funny thing though, dude, is that it used to be super, super dark and I would take a dive into the whole world and not come out for a while and then that started to really hurt and yeah. then i would just like watch something super light core thinking i could get away with it but eventually that started to also have deleterious effects so what's your take on porn and why people might want to consider stopping that or minimizing that what does that do to your psyche and your mind yeah i think there's you know we can even take this discussion deeper than i even did in the book but in the book you know we talk about basic things like hedonic tolerance you know that access and that ability because you know you're basically virtually placing yourself in that scenario you know it's this visual assault of every fantasy that you could imagine that you no longer need to imagine and the minute you get that inclination of the slightest boredom click it's on to the next thing and another you know incredibly powerful image just washes over you and and so it starts to create this pattern where it'd be like having a million cookies all the time and then all of a sudden like when you had that fresh baked cookie in front of you you're like oh i've been eating fucking oreos all day you know like it's not going to have that same appeal so part of it is just that hedonic tolerance and just weaning that down so that you can actually really enjoy the sex you're having without having this constant desensitization from all of these images accumulating over time and that's what i experienced i did a spiritual diet where it was 21 days it's a plant diet and it was 21 days where you couldn't not only watch porn but you couldn't have a sexual thought you weren't even supposed to dream about porn and it was really, you know, that was probably the longest conscious stretch where I wasn't at least thinking about sex. And I followed it absolutely to the best of my ability. And I had a wet dream at day 18, which was really hilarious. <laughs> oh, I'm that's a, funny. Because I'm a grown-ass man. I've, but, he I've heard that. Yeah, but uh, so failed ultimately. But right. I was close, you know. And then by the time I met back with my fiance, it was like a whole different experience. Just every part of that experience was just fresh and new it's like coming out of a fast and having your food like if you've been on a fast and you eat a cashew it's so sweet and so creamy and you taste every flavor and if you've given yourself a break from pornography and from those images from all that then when you actually get to engage it's so much better so that's a major part but i also agree with you energetically like generally the energy surrounding the creation of pornography is pretty toxic you know yeah. it's pretty toxic and that will if you're more sensitive to that stuff that will start to accumulate over time i started to notice a correlation between nighttime nightmares and if i'd watch porn before i went to sleep like something energetically was off dude and, i've noticed that too yeah. yeah and that was like that was a gnarly recognition because i was yeah. like is that no is that and it just kept happening over and over again and i could track it track it back because i don't get nightmares a lot but i could track it back to like oh well this is the one factor 
that has been consistent and all that. So yeah, I mean, I think it's a factor that we got to deal with, especially with kids growing up too. You know, I liken the fact that kids are learning sex from watching porn. It'd be like a trying to train a world champion fighter by just having them watch world star hip hop fights or Rocky <laughs> films. You know? right, right. It's like not realistic. Like we're right. missing the positive tantric sexual education, you know, good sexual practices as part of the education. Instead, we have really the dark expression of that, which is just hitting that pleasure button as violently as you can. And I think there's a cost to be paid for that. Yeah, for sure. I grew up in the 70s. And so I remember it was around 1978. My same friends where I used to go make the white trash donuts, (laughs) their parents had a Betamax and like a Uh huge screen TV. And of course, when they left, we'd root around and we found their pornos that were like these early Betamax tapes. And it was like... Those first ones, like Deep Throat, Debbie Does Dallas, uh, Behind the Green Door. There was these really famous, I mean, they used to play in theaters, you yeah. know, maybe they still do, but there was like porn theaters. They were actual films and we would watch those. And that was my introduction essentially to sex, you know, and that's obviously way, way, way pre-internet, but I had to really kind of, and well, not had to, I'm still relearning the love and intimacy part because my introduction into my own sexuality was based on that and it was like i'm sure for many years it was almost like me and the other person just kind of masturbating (laughs) you know inside Mm -hmm. each other you know or me inside of her so to speak without like much love or human connection present and not to say that that's a wrong thing but then when i started to get into more meaningful relationships it was like a couple times women were like dude you're like super porny like let's be together be together and I had no idea what they were talking about. <laughs> Come again? Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I hear It was you. like, so do you want to hug first? And then I can do the porny <laughs> thing? Like, I kiss on the cheek, flowers, and then I can do the porny thing? So it's interesting. Now, we're in an interesting place in human sexuality now, especially those of us, I think, that are looking for more meaningful connections with other people. And I think it's important to know it's not what you're doing. It's how you're doing it. Because, you know, I talk about some power exchange sexuality, which might include tying somebody up or spanking or any of these different practices. But if you're going into that engagement with love and with the intent to explore, you know, kind of the mindset shifts that happen, the the state changes from flow state, uh, transient hypofrontality that can happen in these power exchanges. And you go in knowing that and there's that experience and then there's the cuddle and then there's the communication around it. It can still be, even though the sex practices may look like something on porn, it's not just this transactional, you know, cold, dark, unconnected exploration of that. It's actually just two people coming together and doing that together. And so it's not what you're doing, it's how you're doing it. It's the way that you're doing it. Because those experiences can leave me even spiritually, like fully fulfilled. You know, whereas on the porn side, it's two strangers doing something for money and it gets dark. Yeah, it gets dark. I was, you're the first guy, because I've talked to a few guys about this on the show, and you're the first one that's identified something that I've noticed as the energy behind the pornography, you mm-hmm. know, because I've been around, I mean, I'm from LA, I've been here, well, not from here, but I've been here 30 years. Yeah. I mean, one of the jobs I had years ago was driving hookers around and collecting the money, and like, I've been on the sets of pornography sets, and I mean, I've been in the underbelly of Hollywood, pretty hardcore. I think they call that a pimp. <laughs> 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 well, I didn't keep the money. <laughs> I got a tip. Yeah. But yeah, that was one of the many strange illegal jobs I've had. I've since, you know, changed my ways. 
lead a much more wholesome life. But that's something that I've always observed is just, it's the intention and the energy behind something. And there's so much like meth and just craziness going on there that when you're interacting with that, you're interacting with the energy of the producers, the funders, the people shooting it, the women in it that have so often been sexually traumatized and Mm. abused. And that's what led them to get into that. So you're kind of like engaging in that whole thing. But the intention, I like that you point that out because you can have some crazy ass sex with someone and really enjoy it and not get toxic from it or have it be a negative experience or using or abusing anyone. And I think a lot of that's the intention and the communication. That's really important. And if, look, I travel a lot, so, you know, I'm not opposed to visual stimulation, but it's when it's content that I've created, you know, with a lover and it's my own. And then no matter if the act resembles something that you might see on a porn tube, if I'm watching that act that was created largely in love and pleasure and mutual, that kind of reciprocity, it doesn't have that negative energetic effect. Right. You know, and, right. and I think that's probably one of the workarounds that I've found. Just make your own. Totally. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> totally. the only way to be sure that the energy is good is to make your own. Right. Note to the listeners, and this would be really probably for our male listeners, but don't keep the old ones from your exes around, though, when you're in a relationship. <laughs> I think it's healthy to actually keep them like I've expunged in multiple occasions, just out of like, yeah. just out of hygiene. You right. know, like in this world, you never know what's going to be found. And I mean, what if there's someone from my 20s that I had something lingering around and all of a sudden I don't have that connection and someone, you know, somehow that gets out? I mean, I don't want to be a part of that. So right. I've. I've smashed hard drives. And yeah, pull a Hillary yeah, Clinton. Yeah, 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 totally. Full on, full on data destruction. That's funny. Every man. once in a while. Yeah, yeah, that's funny. But you're right that, you know, there is an underlying energy in everything. And, and that energy is something that you can cultivate and create. And you can have it be what you want it to be in any kind of interaction, sexual or otherwise. There's something that you talk about, too, which I find interesting, and that is the importance of taking naps. And you'll do this thing where mm-hmm. you listen to binaural beats and take a 30-minute little trip out session what's the deal with that i think people have this idea that we need to get all of our sleep at night and that's something i want to shake people out of because it's not historically accurate it's not anthropologically accurate it's not even accurate to all the cultures of the world right now but it's very effective if you're trying to run like an industrialized civilization where you know you want people to show up early to work work all day come back home and then repeat and i think it's really been something that we've lost is this flexibility in our sleep time so a lot of us can't get eight hours of uninterrupted sleep like that's straight up a fantasy especially people with kids yeah totally and so i read this book uh sleep by nick Littlehale, and he really talks about getting 35 sleep cycles a week as your goal which was beautiful to me because then it takes the pressure off each individual night And then the other thing he talks about are these things called controlled recovery periods, which is like a 30 minute nap, or at least a place where you can get close to sleep, drop your brainwave from that beta state, that kind of active, stressed out, I'm doing things state, to that more meditative, parasympathetic state. And he counts that as one point on your sleep cycle. So a sleep cycle is roughly 90 minutes. And so you want to get 30 to 35 of those a week, which is like four to five of those a day. So, you know, if you get six hours of good solid sleep at a night, that's four. And then maybe you pick up a 30 minute power nap. You know, he counts that as five points. And what I've found is that's absolutely right. Like if I get six hours, plus I get a good 30 minute complete chill out and the binaural beats help facilitate that it's part of brainwave entrainment we can go into that but even any type of nap that allows you to drop into that parasympathetic state will 
act as a surrogate to some of that sleep that you're missing. So it's just a system that's a little bit more flexible and allows you to pick up and, you know, kind of navigate what actual real life looks like, you know, because it's all that pressure to get it all in one night. It's just not going to happen for most people. You think he'd count uh, like a 20 minute meditation as part of that? You know, I think he would. And he gives stories, you know, like Navy SEALs, for example, they have very short controlled recovery periods. They'll give them 10 minutes, they'll give them 15 minutes, and then they'll keep them push. And it's just about taking that moment to start dropping that parasympathetic, you know, system in and dropping those brain waves, and that'll help. Now, would that be a full point? I don't know. I mean, these points are just kind of made up. Yeah, yeah. But really, he, you know, a full 30 minutes is like kind of the minimum. And then, of course, there's a full 90-minute nap, which is catching an entire sleep cycle in the middle of the day as well, which is something that, you know, in the siesta model or the Taasala model in, in Egypt, you know, that people are doing regularly. They're getting five hours of sleep at night, a couple hours in the afternoon, and that's just the way they roll. And that's ancestrally, you know, you see a lot of that. Sometimes it was because in the nights, the middle of the nights got really cold. So they would tend the fire and have some tobacco, stay warm in the coldest part of the night and then go sleep a little bit more in the morning. Or for whatever variety of reasons, this is a pretty common practice. And I think we need to get back to that. And the effects, the studies are just overwhelming. Like they compared more overnight sleep, a big ass cup of coffee and a nap on mental alertness and productivity, and the nap won by a long shot. Like a nap is gonna be better for you than more coffee or more overnight sleep every time, hands down. But somehow we got it in our head that naps are for lazy people. It's just not so true. So when you're making the rounds, walking around HQ at on it, and you see some kid in his work area taking a nap, you don't trip? No, but some people do, <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, uh, and uh, we have our director of human optimization, this guy, Kyle Kingsbury, and he's, yeah. he does all the things. He's fully in. And, you know, he takes a nap every day at the office. And, uh, you know, our COO who used to run a big Hilton hotel and is a little more by the book, he's COO, you know, that's yeah. what you want him. He's like, yeah. Come to me. Kyle's just napping every day. I was like, yeah, this, as he should. You don't, <laughs> like want, you don't want a hippie COO. That's his job. Yeah, that's his job to nap. And so I appreciate that. And that's one of the things I talk about in the book. Like if you pack your lunch, if you get an hour for lunch, you pack your lunch, you know, so you have that and you don't need to go out and fetch it eat your lunch leisurely in 15, 20 minutes, take a 30 minute power nap, maybe with the binaural beats, maybe not, but just recover for 30 minutes. And then all of a sudden you're back at work, more refreshed, more productive than you ever would have been. Dude, you just reminded me of a funny time when I used to work in, uh, I worked as a fashion stylist for like 17 years, right? Mm -hmm. And so you do commercials and music videos and red carpet and all that. And when I was an assistant, I was running hard, so I never got any sleep, and I'd be so exhausted. You're working like 12-hour days, and I used to sneak into the wardrobe truck and like burrow myself. I'd yeah. make like a little burrow out of clothes and hide in there. And I got busted a few times, you know, because then I'd have the walk. You have a walkie-talkie, and it'd be like, "Luke, wardrobe, do you copy?" You know, and I keep that walkie-talkie on. But sometimes I go into such deep sleep that the walkie-talkie wouldn't wake me up. I'd get, <laughs> I'd get popped. I, I yeah. always feel bad, like looking back on some of the people I worked for, because I would just ghost on their ass and take a nap. Well, if they knew better, you know, that's going to make you do your job better when you're out yeah. of it. You know. Well, that's the thing. When you work in production, like you film TV and all this shit in Hollywood, there it's set up to make sure that people don't go into overtime. Yeah. You know, because you, you put a 200 person crew into overtime, everything's unionized and it gets really expensive for the production. So they try and cram as much as they can into each shoot day without going into overtime. So it's not wired toward the healthy lifestyle, right. which is one of the reasons I got out of it two years ago. It's just like, dude, I can't live like this anymore. Makes sense. Yeah. So I want to get into a little bit of the deep water here uh, as we come to the close uh, shortly. 
You talk about, you know, the need for human connection and you've taken some plant journeys, done the ayahuasca thing. You have uh, very much a spiritual side of yourself that you're constantly exploring. So talk to me a little bit about that need for connection that we're lacking and how that might help us to be able to get more of that. I think the first connection we really need to make is with ourselves, like who we are, like who are you? And are you just this, just this body? Are you your identity or your ego? You know, is this, are you defined by what's on your business card and what accomplishments you have and what validation you can get from the world? Or are you something else? And I think, or are you a combination of all that? And and of course we are, we're a combination of all those things. But I think plant medicines and the different journeys I've been on have been a journey of discovering who I am, who I am beyond what my identity is, beyond what my body is, because all that's going to fade away. We're on an inevitable march to dissipation of these creations, these worldly creations that both in our body and the things that we produce, what remains? And for me, it's been a very clear answer that something else remains, consciousness, the soul, whatever, there's a billion names for it. But whatever that thing is, that's who we really are. That's the eternal part of ourself. And understanding that and connecting with that then kind of helps you reorient everything else around you. So that's the number one, I think, most important thing to connect with is your what you would call your higher self or your consciousness. Well said. Yeah, I guess, you know, you can all sit around singing Kumbaya, holding hands and shit, but if you don't know who you are, you know, who's right. the one Who's the one connecting with the other, you know? Yeah, or you slip into some spiritual materialism where yeah. your identity is the one who holds hands and sings Kumbaya, but really you're just using that as a way to shit on the other people who aren't doing that, yeah. you know? So there's lots of slippery traps of the ego, but really understanding, like, who you are at the core, that's the most fundamental thing we need to pay attention to. So after you go have an experience like taking ayahuasca or plant medicines and you you get this introduction to your higher self, to your true self, and then you come back to the States, you go back to the job, you go back into your relationships, how do you keep that witness perspective alive when you're in the motion of life. So those are kind of like feasts. Like you get a lot of big gains, but you won't be able to keep them necessarily unless you have an integration practice, have something that you regularly do. So meditation, mindfulness, you know, I talk about squeezing mindfulness even into your commute. You know, if you're driving to work, finding the ways to drop in as that observer, drop in as that being of presence, you know, in the big now. And you have to find the ways that you can do that you know, as often as possible, daily preferably, but whether that's flotation or yoga or ecstatic dance or meditation or any, you know, hyperoxygenation, all of these different ways that we can tap into that state shift as the kind of regular daily sustenance. And then every once in a while, go push the boundaries and go, you know, talk to the spirits or whatever may happen or talk to your true self or see that alternate perspective and then integrate as much as you can of that but also understand you won't be able to keep that state constantly that state is for the ceremony you also have to integrate that back into the working state which is the body and the normal human being you know we can't all just go floating around on magic carpets and and navigate that's not what we're here for you know we'll perhaps go to a place where that's all we do but not here like here we're here to fuck And again, using that definition of like have intercourse, have intercourse with all life. So it's about going out and experiencing that as fully as you can in ceremony and then bringing back as much of that wisdom and perspective that makes sense. As you become more successful and presumably make more money, how do you keep it from going to your head? 
Like, how do you keep perspective and humility as you become more well-known and achieve more? Well, I think you stop taking credit for it, really. You know, like, it's not really me as I've identified me that's doing any of the really good shit. You know, it's me getting out of the way of who I really am and, the, and that connection to my bigger self and what I really am. So it's like the hammer doesn't pat itself on the back every time it pounds a nail. Like, damn, I'm fucking, look at me pounding that nail. It's just a hammer. That's what it does. You know, when it's being used to its maximum capability, it hammers nails and maybe pries some out. And I'm just that type of tool that's helpful for doing my job. I don't really try to take credit for what I'm doing. I just try to know that, oh, I'm actually doing what I'm here to do. Cool. And that's really the perspective I try to keep. And of course, you know, you'll get triggered and somebody will say something and you'll get offended. And, and But I just use those as things to realize what I'm attached to, like what parts of my identity I'm insecure about. And then reflect on that and say, all right, well, maybe I'm a little bit too attached to this thing. I'm too attached to this thing. But I believe that you can still play with all the toys in the world but if all the toys went away, you could just have a laugh about it. And that's the model I have. I don't believe that you need to give everything up to have a spiritual life. I think the real spiritual master can have everything and can equally be non-attached. Can have, I don't have one, but could have a Lamborghini and not worry about someone scratching or denting it. And if they did, go out and have a laugh. Like, oh man, they really fucked that car up, didn't they? Oh well, you know, like that's the attitude where you get to enjoy the Lamborghini, but also not be bound by it, not have it own and master you in some way. So that's the same with your bank accounts, with your relationship, with the things you own. Just try to have a healthy attachment relationship to it. So if it went away, which oftentimes it does in life, like none of that stuff, well, first of all, you're not gonna get to keep it. It's gonna go away at some point. Time is gonna pull that from your grasp regardless, but have the things, enjoy the things, but those things don't make you and you aren't, you're not gonna get to keep them anyway. So you're just fucking renting everything you got regardless. Including so your own it. body too. I totally. think that helps me keep some perspective when I look in the mirror and I'm like, oh man, like I still have that gut I can't get rid of. And, you know, yeah, it's yeah, like, yeah. don't worry about it, dude, because you're not going to be in this thing for very long anyway. You know, it's like you do your best and... Yeah, is it serving you to the level that you want? And that's what I talk about in the fitness side. Well, you just want to be able to do the shit you want to do. You know, you want to be able to make love the way you want to make love. You want to be able to play a game if you want to play a game. If you want to go run with your dog on the beach, but you can't because you're not fit enough, then all right, then do that. If you want to go surfing, if you want to hike a mountain so you can see the views, like get yourself in a state where you can do the shit you want to do and don't worry about the rest. You know, just be healthy, be able to move, be able to keep this car running in the type of way that you want it to run for as long as possible. What do your parents think about your lifestyle and what you're up to? It's interesting. You know, I don't speak with my father anymore, but I wish I did. He's had some mental health issues, so he never really got to see me build on it and never got to see me kind of flower into the man that I've become. But my mother, it's been cool because she's been on her own path of spiritual discovery and she's way more out there than me. So she'll... she'll uh, she's holding on the woo-woo. Oh, sector. yeah. She's got, <laughs> she's got plenty of that coming in. And, you know, we had very little spirituality as a family growing up, but both of us have been kind of on our own independent journeys to get there. And sometimes we intersect. You know, I got to take her down to Peru and did ayahuasca with me. And Oh, no way. That was awesome. That was a really special wow. event. So, yeah, I'm really close with my mother and, and that's been cool, you know, to yeah. see her. She was also a professional tennis player, so she understands the athletic side and and we've just been uh 
kind of forging our own path and telling our different stories and probably both shaking our head at some of the stuff the other person is doing. You know, I'll tell her a story about getting cambo frog poison you know burned <laughs> into my arm i had a hard time explaining that to people and, yeah i don't even think i told my parents that yeah. yeah and she's like what are you doing it yeah i don't know i I like my throat swole shot i almost died but you know i was trying things <laughs> mom you know i was like out there trying and she'll tell me about some you know energy healer that she went to i'm like right. yeah you know if that works for you good right you know speaking of cambo and i want to cover this and then we'll wrap it up here in a few minutes tell us what the cambo frog thing is how many times have you done it and do you think you benefited here's what i should say every medicine at a certain dose is poison it doesn't matter what it is it could be you know every single medicine and a certain water. dose is poison exactly water <laughs> water is poison light is poison you know everything can be poison and i think my cambo experience started right off the drop from poison i got 11 dots in my arm is my first Ooh, experience 11 is a lot that's oh, a lot yeah and so i don't think i can fairly comment because that was an overdose and i've seen that happen with mushrooms i've seen that happen with iboga i've seen that happen with you know even ayahuasca every different medicine that's played a really powerful healing role i've also seen practitioners take it to the level where it becomes poisonous and for me cambo was that experience i got no benefit i just got really sick and that was unfortunate you know in that i probably didn't get to see what the healing potential of that was which would have been a more modest five dots in the leg let's see what this thing is out let's see how my body reacts to it let's see and i still haven't got to have that experience but of course when you go and you get the overdose experience then you know it's going to be hard to come back it's like going to the gym and seeing this overzealous personal trainer and they just fry your body and you get either injured or so sore that you can't go back you're you're going to be reticent to to go to that same gym yeah so that was my experience with cambo but you know i've certainly talked to a lot of people who've found some benefit of that but i don't know if that's the medicine for me <laughs> when, when i did i think i did five and it was how reasonable it was tolerable but still an experience that i would never feel the need to do again but yeah. people ask me what does it do like why did you do it? i go i don't know man honestly i was just intuitively guided to do it mm -hmm. i heard about it i researched it a little bit went to some hippie's house in topanga of course and you know some american shaman type people and uh i think it was a positive experience but i don't know exactly why the one thing that i walked away with was this insane level of clarity for about a week where mm -hmm. i had that jason Bourne kind of on smart drugs feeling mm -hmm. where doo -doo -doo -doo, matrix type shit just hyper hyper aware i don't know what caused that but still to this day when i tell people the story like what does it do why do you do it i go i don't know man someone <laughs> Someone told me about it, and it's like, why would you do that? Well, because my heart just pulled 51% in that direction. Yeah, exactly. There was this subtle charm that was like, uh-huh, yeah, okay, okay. And know? as explorers, we want to know. We yeah. want to know the things. You know. But one thing that I have not done that I want to get a little info on, because I haven't really covered it on my show yet, although the episode that comes out next week, I think we talk a little bit about it, but that is the ayahuasca trip. Now, I have not done that. I guess I haven't been pulled in that direction, but also I'm really cautious about doing anything that gets me like quote unquote high because I have my sober thing and it's like the consequences of me tipping the scale back to the way it was prior to 21 years ago would be dire. So I don't, you know, like, oh, I'll just have one hit of a joint or one sip of wine. Like I just have a no on yeah. that. 
But I also drink kombucha and do other shit that other sober people wouldn't do because I'm not paranoid either. I take THC and CBD oil. I just know no more than five milligrams or I'm going to be loaded and then I could go off the fucking rails. But I'm still curious about the ayahuasca thing because I love the spiritual exploration. And I don't think my intention would be like, oh, I'm going to go to Peru and get high. I could walk to the liquor store. If, yeah, good luck with that intention. And get some vodka and get high. Ayahuasca's <laughs> fucking work, man. It's the opposite of getting high. You know, it's right. really deeply, deeply challenging. They call it the vine of death or the vine of souls because the first thing it typically does is puts you face to face with your deepest fears, your fear of dying, your any fears that you have latent. And it shows you those fears until you surrender to those fears and in doing so have some level of mastery over them. I mean over and over again it is an incredibly challenging experience first you're nauseous you're oftentimes purging out of both sides shitting and vomiting and you're encountering your deepest fears it can be ecstatic in moments too but it definitely doesn't feel like any other kind of buzz you know and it's, it's not like always taking shrooms worked. at a fish show oh, god <laughs> and then the more you take it i've taken it 17 times now and the more you take it like just even the thought like if i watch if you were to put on a video right now of somebody else drinking ayahuasca i would like have that kind of heavy like oh no why you know that kind of feeling but nonetheless i'll go back and i'll do more because you know that the value and the benefit of it is really there and you don't feel it's not dissociative you know you feel actually more clear and more you know have a deeper you know kind of like what you talked about with cambo like this really kind of laser focus as to what your core issues are and a perspective shift surrounding that but it's highly uncomfortable so I wouldn't worry about that as far as I've, from the sober I've heard thing. that. A friend of mine that's smoked a considerable amount of the frog uh, DMT. Sapo, yeah. Yeah, that. And he's like, yeah, and you see God and these angels come in for a few minutes and it's just this, you know, scary sometimes, but still ecstatic and enlightening experience. And to me as the addict, I'm like, so don't you want to take another hit? Like right after you come down, he's like, uh, no, dude, you don't want to take another hit for five years. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, it's yeah. not like that. It's hard for me to imagine something that I wouldn't compulsively like want to keep doing, you know? I, I can understand that. I can understand that with the body of evidence you have. This is just such a unique thing. Yeah. It's just so, it's undescribable what it is. And I don't recommend that everybody do it. And I don't think sure. you really have to be called to it. And you have to be in the right setting with the right person. Because again, if it's the wrong person, like my 11 dots on the arm, it's going to be poison for you. And you're not going to integrate it right. And if you're doing it just for a gas, don't do that. Like this is work. You got to show up ready to surrender to your fears and ready to do the work. But it's not a walk in the park. And it's not something that most people are going to get drawn to. Now, have I seen people compulsively do ayahuasca? Have I seen people compulsively do DMT? Absolutely. You know, you're not completely safe from the compulsion of it. But right. what's driving that compulsion? You know, maybe it's the, again, that kind of spiritual materialism. Or maybe it's, but it's not by nature addictive. By nature, it's anti-addictive. Even if you watch the shamans who've administered and taken, you know, thousands of doses, they take the dose and it's, you see that the curve of them having disgust over the actual process is even stronger. I mean, they're choking it down. They're not like, oh, geez, like if you drank Jack Daniels enough, you'll take that, you'll look someone in the eye and you'll smile. Whereas like a kid right. will take and go, oh, you know, you watch the shamans take ayahuasca and it's like, <coughs> you know, it's still a very challenging thing to do regardless. Like you will never master that aspect of it you know it's going to it's going to test you and it's going to push you they call it trabajo work and for a reason that's the interesting thing about that 
genre of drugs too is they use those things often to get people off drugs like yeah. behold what's that a, bo- a boga a boga yeah a boga like they get people off opiates and mm-hmm. stuff with it that's what's always been fascinating to me is that the those shamanistic plant medicines are actually used to get people out of addictive cycles which sure. is really fascinating well if you think that the identity is what's addicted you know mm-hmm. and maybe the body is what's addicted but your higher self isn't an addict. Your higher self resides in love and love has no lack by nature. Like that's the vibrational nature of your higher self. It's love, it's truth. That's not where the addict is. The addict lives in the body and the addict lives in the ego and the addict lives in these other aspects. If you radically shift your state to that higher perspective, you're putting back in control the part of you that's not the addict, you know? And that's why these things kind of work universally, whether it's a smoking cessation trial with psilocybin like they did at Johns Hopkins, or whether it's the aboga research on opiate addiction, or whether it's any of these different medicines, you're really just putting the best part of yourself in charge to kind of realign and figure out what caused the addiction in the first place, what trauma, you know, what solution the addict is trying to solve with his addiction, and puts you, the real you, in the driver's seat to a bigger perspective. And something like a boga I think is effective because it does that as well as, I liken it to being like an ant on a tuning fork. Like it takes the body's frequency and it's just like and you're just buzzed for 24 hours straight and your whole body is just shaking with the vibration of this really incredibly powerful medicine. Again, horribly uncomfortable, even more uncomfortable than ayahuasca makes ayahuasca look you know, relatively easy compared to how challenging this is. After that, your body is kind of shaken free of old patterns and your psyche is shaken free of old patterns and you have, you know, a little different element of yourself in the driver's seat. So if you've done the ayahuasca thing 17 times, did you do all or most of those with the same shaman or have you Yeah, most of them. I've had three different shamans all in Peru and I like to go pay ayahuasca a house call, you know, for the Mm -hmm. most part. I mean, that's where it's from. That's who carried the lineage, but that's not a guarantee that it's going to be a good practitioner either. You know, How did like, you vet yours? That's the thing that I, I would be concerned about myself yeah, and just for other. It's people. a challenge, and be careful, everybody. Everybody listening, who's like, because there's got to be a lot of fake ass shaman by now. That the well, Western there's some cultures. fake ones. There's some fake ones who will give you have the ability to hold the medicine properly, and, right? And then there's other ones that look. They're part of the jungle, and what's the law of the jungle? The strong eat the weak. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's shamans who will pray upon the spiritually weak who come to sit and drink with them and it's just not immoral for them you know it's just oh well i'm a jaguar they're the taper yeah i'll eat the taper you know that's the idea so you have to find and make sure that the people you're working with are truly committed to the medicine yeah their intention there's a lot Mm. of that in india too with the the pseudo gurus yep you know, that charge a bunch of money. I've paid money to some gurus there, you know, that I, I don't know that we're 100% uh, sure. intentionally pure. Uh, whatever, I benefited. It was a good experience. But yeah, that's the thing. You'd, I think you'd want to be really, you know, have some prudence in terms of who you're entrusting your soul to because it sounds like a journey that's not to be taken lightly. It's a psychic surgeon. Yeah. You know, like you want to have clean tools, you want to have a good setting, and you want to have the right intent. Their intent needs to be to heal, their tools need to be to heal, and they need to have the level of mastery to get in there and do what needs to be done. In practical terms, how would one go about finding a legit shaman? I have a FAQ on my blog. So I think if you just go to aubreymarcus.com slash FAQ, there's the three that I work with, and I can only vouch for the ones that I personally work with because I've recommended people go to ones that were recommendations from Mm -hmm. another person, and 
it hasn't always been a good experience. So I know, you know, it's uh, Don Howard at Spirit Quest. It's Blue Morpho. There's a couple different places that are Dope. that are solid. But, oh, cool. you know, they're, they're kind of busy because I've been sending yeah, a lot yeah, of people yeah, to them. Yeah. But universally across the board, everybody who's gone has you know, echoed awesome. that same positive sentiment. That's awesome. So that we'll find that at AubreyMarcus.com. Yeah, and I'm totally unaffiliated. These are just people I've worked yeah. with and got a lot of benefit no it's a valuable resource because obviously it's working for you you're a conscious guy you're doing good things in the world trying man trying you don't seem like out there a lot of people that i meet that are involved in that scene are not grounded yeah like you have a very stable grounded energy about you and that to me is an indication that the journeys you've taken have served you Mm -hmm. and it's also about frequency it's easy to get ungrounded when you don't take enough time in between Mm-hmm. You know, like my journeys have been spaced out since when I was from 19 to 36. You know, I've oh, had 17 wow. years of journeys that, wow. you know, with plenty of time to integrate, plenty of time Dude, to... So you're, you're old school. You're an early adopter. Yeah. It's not like just yeah. last year, like, oh, cool. I went to Burning Man. I met a <laughs> you know, like, yeah. That's yeah, it's interesting. A, it's been a while. Cool, man. All right. Well, as we come to a close, I'm going to ask you one final question. And that is, you've taught me a lot today, as well as all of our listeners and viewers here on social media. Who have been three teachers or teachings that you might recommend that we go look into? Well, to me, I think one of the most powerful has been uh, Don Miguel Ruiz. He's a master of the Toltec philosophy. He wrote the book, Mastery of Love, which is an amazing start to understanding what love is. Like love is one of the most misused words. You know, it's one of the dirtiest, you know, misused, misunderstood words that we have out there conflating with love and ownership and desire and validation and all of these things that have kind of been like barnacles on this mass that you got to really clean off to understand what that is. The beauty of his teachings is not only getting to the truth of that, but also that it's a complete system. The Toltec system is a complete way of life from the four agreements, mastery of love to what I think his masterwork was, the Toltec art of life and death, his last book. So definitely, you know, check him out. I think that's really crucial to have that kind of perspective and understanding. Let's see what else. I mean, I thought Eckhart Tolle's Tolle's uh, A New Earth was just a phenomenal book. For sure. That I really recommend to people. And then, you know, I like to vibe on, you know, some more utopian design stuff. And that, oh, I would right. rec- that would, I would recommend Aldous Huxley's Island, which I think is the first major classic. Ooh, I've never read that one of utopian fiction. And then there's another one by Starhawk called A Fifth Sacred Thing, and that'll show you, like, in my mind, what we're working for. You know, like I think the Don Miguel Ruiz, Eckhart Tolle will help give us the tools. And then it's nice to see what a picture of that might look like if it was universally and broadly. Who's that applied. other guy, Jacques something? He's the utopian guy. I think he was in the Zeitgeist documentaries. Yeah, I'm not sure. You know that guy? Uh Uh-uh. Yeah, cool. I'm going to check that out. I think that's interesting, too, is those future thinkers that sort of unplug from our whole paradigm of like, Republican, Democrat, or like, they're just totally like, zoomed way out from this whole thing that we're in now. Yeah. That's cool. Good recommendations. All right. So I've got your book here. People that are watching on video can see that. Own the day, own your life. I recommend that uh, when it's not out quite yet, right? Yeah, pre orders are awesome, though. If you're interested, okay. it'll be like Christmas when it arrives, hopefully. Okay. Uh, go to ownthedaybook.com and check it out. Because then the more pre orders we get, then bookstores will order it and we'll help spread the word about awesome. it. So pre orders are fucking huge for an author. So 
if you're interested, I am much obliged. Okay, cool. That's good to know because oftentimes someone will come record and they have a book coming out, but the recordings don't match up. You know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It'll be too late. And I'm like, ah, so that's cool. We can catch your pre-order. Yeah, totally. All right, and then give us the rest of your social media websites and stuff that we can link out. To. Yeah, I'm just at Aubrey Marcus, really active on Instagram and Facebook. And then, of course, the company is at Onnit. O-N-N-I-T. And tell them about your podcast, which is fantastic. Yeah, the Aubrey Marcus podcast. So really um, exploring a lot more philosophy, spirituality, have a lot of dope guests and we dive deep. A lot of my teachers in this life, I get to talk with on there and interview a lot of cool people. So yeah, your uh, show's great. I highly recommend people. I appreciate that, brother. Yeah, right on. All right, dude. Well, thanks so much for coming by, man. Great to meet you. Yeah, great to meet you too. Thanks, everybody. Well, that brings us to the end of another episode of the Lifestylist Podcast. I'm, I'm just going to ask you a question here. Are you inspired to like go out and kick some ass and lead a great life? Uh, I would venture to say that if you're not, you may in fact already be dead. I found Aubrey to be a really inspiring guy. The dude is uh, setting the bar high when it comes to not only just performance and kicking ass and all of that, but really doing it in a conscious way. So love meeting dudes like that. Happy to bring him to you, the listener. I'd like to invite you to check in again for next week's double episode, which chronicles my entire trip to the Doceri Clinic in Park City, Utah, where I had stem cells injected into my face, scalp, hip, spine, shoulder, and even my wedding tackle. Yeah, I did it. I took it there. So these double episodes next week are a play-by-play report of the entire experience. It's a little bit different format. I did some podcasting from the car, going down the freeway. I podcasted from the plane, in the surgery room. Shit got crazy. So make sure that you subscribe to this podcast in iTunes or on your podcast player so you don't miss next week's episode. And then again, I want to remind you to follow me on Instagram. I do a lot of really interesting stuff over there. I mean, probably too much, especially on the Instagram lives, because I I really provide a lot of value and education, and I think probably entertainment, because I know it's going to disappear in 24 hours. You know what I'm saying? But that's the downside is I provide a lot of value and then it's gone. Um, so if you want to catch some some fun stuff, follow me on Instagram. It's very simple, at Luke Story. And then I want to invite you again to join my new Facebook group. I think now we're up to about 800 uh, members. You can find the Facebook group and request to join by simply searching the word lifestyle, actually three words, lifestylist podcast, and you'll find that group and just request to join and I'll let you in. If you follow me on Instagram and you join the Facebook group, you get some exclusive content too, folks. You get to follow uh, all of my activities and adventures at the Longevity Now conference next weekend, where I'm going to be doing tons of live streams of my interviews there. It's going to be total madness. All right, let's take a moment to thank our sponsors. First off, we've got Altera Pure, my absolute favorite, totally organic, legit bedding. If you go to alterapure.com and enter the code lifestylist, you will save 15% off of this rad bedding. And it's already really affordable. That's what's insane. It's like, should be very expensive, but it's actually kind of just normal price, high quality bedding, but you get that extra 15% at alterapure.com with two R's. Altera. Next, you're going to go to athleticgreens.com forward slash Luke, and they are going to hook you up with 20 free travel packs of their amazing green superfood powder valued at 99 bucks with your first purchase. That's athleticgreens.com forward slash Luke. 
Lastly, last but not least, one of my OG sponsors that I always love to support, Four Sigmatic. You can go to foursigmatic.com forward slash Luke Story, use the code Luke Story, and save 15%. So I really appreciate you guys supporting the sponsors. Uh, honestly, I'm, it is no exaggeration at all. This show would not be happening if it weren't for their support because this shit is expensive to run for reals okay so thank you so much for checking in again and joining me and aubrey marcus on this show don't forget to check in next week for the stem cell adventures and do me yourself and the world a favor and just share this episode with a couple friends right now that's one of the most powerful things you can do to support the show if you don't feel like sharing it you can always leave a rating and review in itunes it's actually really easy to do now on your app and that's also a very profound way that you can give back if you feel that you're getting value from all the stuff that I'm producing. Thank you. Godspeed to you.